The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, it has been a good week for me in that uh, on Thursday, I got to watch my younger daughter graduate from high school. And uh, what was especially uh, rewarding was to see her uh, sing the, the very last thing that happened in the graduation ceremonies there at uh, the CQ Arena at Towson was she sang the school's alma mater. So that was lovely to hear her sing. You've heard her sing here. But I have to say the words of this song are kind of ridiculous. Franklin High, we sing to thee to extol thy majesty. Now, Franklin's a good school. I mean, eighth best high school in Baltimore County, uh, 109th best in the state, 6,528th in the nation, according to U.S. News. So, you know, it's well above average. Both my kids got a good education there. We're not embarrassed that they went there. But with the possible exception of the principal, who himself was a graduate and was celebrating his last graduation before he retires, I don't know that anybody in that room really thought of Franklin High School as majestic. Certainly, nobody walking through the halls would spontaneously think to say, halls of splendor all around us. I mean, you've been to high schools, right? 
I mean, you got lockers on either side, the ceiling's kind of low, terrazzo floors, kids getting beaten up, halls of splendor all around us. No, it, it, that one definitely, as well as my daughter sang, it definitely was off key. The fact is, though, we sing songs like this and we talk this way because we as people are made to worship. God has made us to be people who need to have something in our lives that we adore, something we can't stop talking about, how great it is, something we can't stop telling people about every chance we get. You've heard the joke when you meet a vegan doing CrossFit, which one are they going to talk about first? Have you ever met a vegan doing CrossFit? But we're made to worship. The problem is when we worship the wrong things. And it just seems kind of just silly when you read words like in the school's alma mater. And it's cute when people won't stop talking about their grandkids or won't stop sharing pictures of their cat on their Facebook feeds. But we need to remember that this real attitude of worship is reserved for the one true God. Listen again to what Isaiah says in chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This would have been Isaiah's vision of the, the true heavenly temple. And here, God is so great, so majestic, the cuff of his jeans is filling the whole place. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. Strongest parts of the building, they shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's proper response is, Woe is me. I am ruined. What we see in Isaiah is uh, expanded on in the vision that John has in Revelation chapter 4 when he says that I looked and and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come on up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones. Seated on them were twenty-four elders dressed in white, with crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, which is the sevenfold Spirit of God. And before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Each of them had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. 
And day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, those 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. God's very nature demands that adoration, demands that we place Him above all things, that we give all honor and glory and thanks to Him. But worship isn't just about adoration. People worship not just through praise, but through sacrifice, giving up things they value as an act of devotion. God called His people to do this. When we read in Torah that there were sacrifices that were made to atone for sin, but there were also just the daily sacrifices that were brought to bring honor to God, to be a pleasing aroma to Him. If you think about it, uh, making a sacrifice is about the most economically foolish thing you could possibly do, especially if you sacrifice like the firstborn, you know, the firstborn lamb from the flock might be the lastborn. You don't know. That could be the last lamb that you produces. And the lamb is supposed to grow up to be a sheep to give you wool and milk and then eventually mutton chops. But you sacrifice the lamb and you get none of that. And yet we do. Because God calls His people to. When we come and we bring our first fruits in worship, when we bring our tithes and offerings, we do that as an act of adoration and we do that as an act of sacrifice. Not a sacrifice that merits anything on our part, like our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in the Eucharist. It's given as uh, an offering of what we have that God has given us, affirming that He's the one who has made it possible for us to do so. But this is also where things can get dangerous. I mean, I, I guess you could make enough sacrifices for your dog that that could get a little weird, but, but we do see people when they worship celebrities giving up all the attention they could pay to more valuable things, tracking the gossip on them, spending money they don't have on jerseys, concert tickets. It's even more dangerous when we get to the worship of political candidates on either side or all sides. There's always the temptation to develop that personality cult. People give up relationships they care about, give up friendships, give up 
the ability to talk to family that they've known for decades simply because they don't agree on whether they like a particular political candidate. And then we can also see people making sacrifices when a certain relationship is held up as the most important thing in their lives that crowds out everything else. You can see when one child is favored over another, or the relationship with the child threatens the health of a marriage. Now the problem with all of these is that we're loving the wrong things. Better yet, we're loving the right things, but we're loving them the wrong way. Our loves, as the moral theologians of the church have always taught us, must be properly ordered. We have to love things as much as they deserve to be loved in the span of all of the things that God has given us to love in our lives. So if we're loving something to the exclusion of something else we ought to be loving, that tells us that our loves are not well-ordered. And how do we keep our loves in order? Well, C.S. Lewis tells us by loving God above all things. And we find that when we love God first, then we love all other things as we ought to love them. If we put those other things first, then everything gets out of whack. C.S. Lewis put it a whole lot more uh, mellifluously than that. I don't think he probably ever used the phrase out of whack in his entire life. But our loves must be rightly ordered in that starts by treating God as our only object of pure adoration and sacrifice. All things that we adore, all other things, we adore all other things for which we make sacrifices, we do in worship of Him. Tomorrow we'll recognize Memorial Day when we honor the sacrifices of those who did as Jesus said, showed no greater love than to lay down their life for that of their friends and their nation. We honor that. But we honor that within a fuller matrix of the loves that God has given us to have, most of all, that love of Him. Why? Because He is holy. Because God alone is worthy of our full adoration, our full sacrifice. I want to close with these words from Catherine Sonderegger, who's a theologian, teaches at Virginia Seminary. She says, to encounter this holy place where the glory of the Lord dwells is to be undone, made anew. In the temple filled with smoke and with glory, the priest and the prophet Isaiah can only cry out in awe, woe is me. It is not first the creature's undoing and then the holy presence, but first the holiness, and then the terror of sin exposed and owned, seared and burned away. Just so the deity of the one Lord Jesus Christ fills the disciples with awe as the roaring waves fall into stillness. And Peter, the fish spilling out of the nets and breaking them into pieces, breaks apart in fear and confession. Depart from me for I am a sinner. Holiness is contagion 
over spilling the holy precincts, the furniture, the vestments, the altar. It annihilates, reduces to ash. The most holy cannot be seen. He is the high and lofty one dwelling with the lowly and the humble one dwelling invisible in his own creation. Holiness is hidden between the wings of gold, elevated high beyond the savory and sweet offerings, rising in smoky incense and fire. Holiness is power. It is mystery. It is the spirit of holiness, the fire and glory that illumines every dark corner, convicts, renews, lifts up the Son of Man and reveals the vision, lifts up the people from the parched places and the grave and raises up the final Son of Man and makes life the end of all things. The Spirit of holiness drives newfound preachers from village to village, making witnesses of these holy things, freeing and giving stout hearts until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen.